I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today is a pretty cool and dope show because I get a chance to interview a friend of mine. We go all the way back to the Kamala Harris for President Days, Hillary Clinton Days, none other. Oh, and her own campaign and race for Secretary of State, none other than my friend, Iowa's finest, Deidre DeGere. How are you doing today, homie? I am fabulous, Bakari. It is another day that we have an opportunity to change the world we live in. So I'm, I'm always <sighs> grateful for that opportunity. Listen, I say I wake up every morning trying to change the world. It, ke- it keeps me motivated and going forward because there's a whole hell of a lot of things that need to be changed. I know you so well. My listeners may not. That's why we're doing this at the time we are doing it. So we start each one of our episodes pretty much the same way, which is having our guest walk us through the arc of your career. So walk us through your career arc from finishing Drake, which is a great institution, uh, to your journey as an entrepreneur to now running for governor in 2022. So I'm originally from Mississippi. I kind of made my own great migration to Iowa (laughs) uh, after I graduated from high school in Oklahoma. And I I started at Drake, very unclear of what I was stepping into, but I felt uh, a, a sense of connection to Iowa. I was a broadcast news and politics major. And I thought at that time in my life that I, I wanted to be a political analyst. This is, you know, 04, walking into undergrad. But what I found in my time in Iowa was a sense of community that I had never come to meet before. I mean, Iowans have this innate ability to see the humanity that exists in people, uh, despite party identity. And I saw this even before I started getting involved in in politics. And and it moved me not only to um, continue my education 
at Drake University, but it moved me to stay here. I was able to start a nonprofit when I was an undergrad to help uh, students in the Drake neighborhood who didn't have the school supplies and the services that they needed uh, in order to be their best selves in school. I was able to start a business in undergrad to help other small businesses get started and grow during the course of the recession. This state has just been a tremendous value to me and my path. When we talk about, you know, the saying field of opportunities, this is Iowa. And when I But see, you do know the Great Migration Path ain't from Mississippi to Iowa. Iowa is a little off the beaten path, especially for people of color. So talk to me about the diversity that because I know I know, as we affectionately call it, Des Money's in the media industry when we always land once every four years in Iowa. But talk about the diversity and how it's growing and some of the things people may not know about Iowa other than the fried butter and stuff at your fair. Right. And, and that's why I called it my own great migration, because there was this calling that I had to this state. Uh, there's a, a woman by the name of Betty Andrews who started an, uh, an event, which also became a song called I'll Make Me a World in Iowa. I had that opportunity as an undergraduate student. And, you know, we at that time, I think we're probably about 95 percent white when I came to Iowa. Now we're about 90% white. And, but the diversity that exists in this state is, is, is so, it's unmatched from my vantage point because it's intense. You know, the, the, the cultural diversity that you are able to experience, that anybody is able to experience in this state is unique, it's valuable, it adds to the footprint of who I am, of who this state is. And from my vantage point, I couldn't walk away from that. You know, we don't have the most Black people in the country. We, we don't have the most Latinx in the country. But the, the fabric of our diversity that exists is so valuable. And I, I just, I feel a great sense of calling to this state to not only add value to Iowans in general, but those specific pockets of people, including people of color, who don't necessarily get the value that I was able to get out of Iowa. And I want to connect them to that opportunity. And it's just it's it, it's a, it's an exciting place to be. I mean, if you if you are in if you are ever outside of the state and you want to come to Iowa, come during the summertime because you just get a convergence of the cultural diversity, the economic diversity that exists throughout the state. And, and you know, it's, it's one of the reasons why people stay. Not, and, and it's not just the diversity. Right. It's all of the other opportunities to come after that, you know. Considering, and we'll, I know we'll talk about this, but there's a lot of challenges that Iowans are facing. But when I started this conversation tour about a few months ago, I asked Iowans two questions. I was in rural Iowa, I was in urban Iowa, I was in suburban Iowa, and I asked them you know, very specific questions. Why do you live here? People value their communities. I asked them, why don't you live anywhere else? They love the sense of community. They love being connected to their neighbor. They, they love being able to go next door and have a conversation with someone. It's just this, like I said, the ability to see the humanity in folks, it's just thriving throughout the entire state. So why, why did you choose to run for governor this go around? So why I chose it to run for came, governor? It, it kind of came, now I'm, I'm a ride or die with you, but it came mm -hmm. out of, the, I didn't know this was next on your list or to do things. Yeah. You kept this one, you kept this one under wraps. So tell me why, why governor this go around? You know, it, it was it was a surprise to me. You know, I'm not one of those individuals that has this complete and total plan for life. You know, I was raised in a household where my parents taught me early on that I was born on this earth to serve. I had value that existed in me and my job while I was on this earth was to put that value out to help somebody else and make their lives better. 
And so when I think about the Iowa that I got connected to, the Iowa that I got introduced to when I was a college student, and I see the Iowa that exists now, I am of the mindset that we can do better than where we are now. Mind you, I come from states where we suffer in education, the state of Mississippi. You know, mm-hmm. Iowa was number one in education. That's how I got introduced to this state. I don't know if anybody else have, ever took the Iowa basic skills test, but but that is that was my first connection to the state of Iowa. Now we're like 21 on the list, right? And so as I'm seeing the state take steps backwards, I, I'm of the mindset that we can interrupt this backwards trajectory. And if we are to interrupt it, if we are to put people first and do good for everybody, then we start in that governor's office. You know, when we think about everything that the federal government is trying to do related to voting rights, related to COVID, they're trying to fix the mistakes that states are making, and Iowa is one of them. And so I want to interrupt this cycle and push us forward, push us to a place in which we belong, what we're capable of doing. I mean, this is a state that that feeds the world. You know, we, we fuel this country. There's so much value that we've offered to this country for years and years, 100 years before Brown versus Board of Education. This state had desegregated schools. It recognized the value and the importance of education to everyday students, to all students. Right. And so I I, want to make sure that we get back to seeing the humanity. You know, there's been a great deal that has, has set us apart. You know, we have a governor that's pitting us against one another. And and that's not the way we have to be. You know, there's this mindset. You got to rob Peter to pay Paul. No, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I think you just got to make sure Paul is good. Peter is good. And Paula is good. And I think you can do that in the governor's office. I believe strongly you can do that in the governor's office. If given that leadership, who's willing to make that happen. Can Kim Reynolds run again? Yes, she can run again. We don't have term limits in the state of Iowa. Oh, Lord. Y'all need, I mean, I need to get rid we of We do not here, have man. term limits in the state of Iowa. You know, she came on. Um, after our uh, former governor got a uh, ambassadorship from Trump yes, to be ambassador to China. And so she came on uh, shortly after 16 and ran her first race in 18 and, you know, skated by with 50.3 percent of the vote. And, um, you know, she's vulnerable. And and we know that she's ranked 41st in popularity amongst governors across the, the country. Um and so, you know, long story short, I'm running because I believe in the state, Bakari. I believe in what we're capable of. And I I, I sure enough believe in myself. And so well, if I can important. align these two beliefs, let's make this happen. So let me ask you this. I mean, you ran uh, for secretary of state in 2018. And mm-hmm. as someone who also ran unsuccessfully statewide, trust me, I, know, I don't even like talking about it. So I'm not going to we're not going to spend too much time on this question. Mm-hmm. I know I came out of that experience a far better person and candidate. Talk to me about what you learned in 2018 and how that shapes your campaign this go around. Oh, man, there were so many lessons learned out of 2018. I was a candidate for the first time. People that know me from Adam. I think I had 9% name ID um, and I was running up against an individual in the primary that had run for Congress twice in the state Mm -hmm. of Iowa. It was unsuccessful, but, you know, had spent a great deal of money. And so no one thought I could win. Right. The the primary, let alone the general. And we were able to get through that primary because we connected with as many people as we possibly could. We didn't just go to the quote reliable voters, Um, you know, someone who cares very deeply about the voting process. We went to eligible voters in this state who have a stake in this election, which is every voter in this state. And that mm-hmm. was a tremendous lesson learned that, you know, because typically in primaries, they say, go to your reliable voters, go to the Correct. people who voted in the past election. No, 
because we have too many roadblocks that inhibit people's ability to get to the, the, the polling place. But given the opportunity to connect with me, you know, it expanded our approach. I mean, we were able to do a lot more with half the money that we had intended. We wanted to raise a million dollars. We raised half a million. And we were able, with half of the money, we were able to get 70,000 more votes uh, than the previous Secretary of State candidate with those who had those resources. So that was a lesson learned. You connect to as many voters as you possibly can. And that starts with a grassroots network that believes in what's possible, that is connected with your values. And, and I'm, I'm taking that with me. The other thing that I'm taking with me is um, a lesson learned is those counties where I need to do a better job, where I need to do a stronger job. Um, meeting people where they are. You know, I'm I'm that candidate that goes to sell barns in, in rural Iowa. I'm that candidate that goes to churches. I'm that candidate that that goes to small businesses and connects with people in any space that I possibly can um, to to get people out to vote. And so now I know I need to do more of that throughout the state. And the biggest lesson learned, and I think that Democrats throughout the entire country saw this lesson. Some of us are trying to figure out how to make it work in our state. Us as Democrats have to operate as a team. You know, we're going to have a Senate candidate, a federal candidate on the ticket. We're going to have a congressional candidates on that ticket. And it's ever more important for us, especially um, in states like Iowa, where, you know, the the margin of victory is small and the registration uh, differences between independents, Democrats and Republicans is small as well. We've got to dig deep and we've got to show people that Democrats believe in the state and we're worth fighting for. And we have to do that as a team. So those are the three big lessons learned. Had I have not run for secretary of state, I would not be in a position right no, now to be not. running for this no, office. No, of course not. Let me ask you this. Here's the obvious question. Trump won Iowa by about eight or nine percentage points. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden has a 33 percent approval rating in Iowa. You saw what happened in Virginia with Terry McAuliffe and how the national narrative around Democrats affected his race. How do you intend to run a race that focus on, I, focuses on Iowans and mm -hmm. Iowans' issues that blocks out the national noise around the Democratic brand? You know, we've, we've had a, a state that has, you know, elected a, a, a Democratic president and then turned around and elected a Republican governor. I, I think Iowans have this ability to kind of parse out the extra they don't like. Uh, for our races to be nationalized to some degree, unless it is um, a national race. But the way that you pit through that, there's a couple of different ways. And, and one thing I'll say is just around organization. We are going to allow the, the Republicans to be their authentic selves in this race. They outnumber Democrats by, I think, about 30,000 registrations. Independents outnumber Democrats by about 15,000 or so uh, registrations. We have enough Democrats and independents in this state to actually make this win happen. We actually have the, the individuals in this state that we can connect to, that we don't have to bother with the persuasion and ideological um, of differences. And so we're going to do better with independents. 45% of independents showed up in, in 2018. You know, and, and, and I know we can do better there because about 60 percent of them showed up um, in, in 2020. And so we, we also didn't do as well amongst our 24 to 35 year old age demographics. Less than half of them showed up. These are people who showed up for Obama, who were grassroots organizers and, and neighborhood team leaders for Obama. We're going to do better there. So I'm not really moved by the fact that uh, the the Trump was able to pull out. In, in 2020, because, you know, we also 
selected Obama, you know, two years or four years prior and, and, and in 2008. And so I think Iowans know the state of which our, our state is in right now and the challenges, but we've also got to do the work in letting people know who don't know the harm that this current administration has caused because they see it, they feel it, they understand it. It's just a matter of letting them know that they're not alone and what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. Why do you think Democrats in Washington are running into this disconnect where the things they're doing, they, they poll well? I mean, that's mm-hmm. no, there's no doubt about it. But when it comes to approval ratings, right track, wrong, wrong track, and generic ballots, they aren't polling well. What's the disconnect? And how do good campaigns in 2022 repair the disconnect so people can actually feel the benefit of many of these policies that we all support? So a big disconnect that I've seen in our community is uh, that uh, you know, people have this mentality of, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to do what's good for you. You know, in, in this state, and I'm sure that it happens in other states, especially in our rural communities um, and in our urban communities, they know what's good for them. They, they, they know what can help their communities move forward. They know the stumbling blocks and the hurdles. The, the problem, the disconnect that we've had is that we have not done the due diligence to bring those voices to the problem-solving tables. If 2020 taught us anything, is that we are better and when we put our heads together and we resolve the challenges uh, cohesively and collectively because we're able to see different vantage points, we're able to point out the unintended consequences of our decision-making, and we're also able to influence and impact more people. The disconnect is meeting people where they are, not telling them what's good for them, not giving them an analysis of their current situation, but listening to their Mm. concerns, listening to their issues, and aligning with their values. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So, you know, one of the things that I'm concerned about in 2022 and I think it's going to bear out is is an enthusiasm gap. What do you think Democratic voters in Iowa need to see to get off of the couch in 2022? Because there clearly is that gap on the Democratic side. And what are Democratic voters in places like Iowa feeling and how is your campaign being responsive to them? 
you know, people want to connect with the team that that believes in them and that they believe in. And I don't think you can get people to believe in you at this point in time in 2021 as a candidate if you do not sincerely believe in their capability. This is is not a hero or shero scenario in this campaign for governor. This is coming to terms with the facts of what people are dealing with and and putting solutions uh, to those challenges that people are facing. That's what's getting people's attention. You know, I'm going to counties where I, I couldn't get, you know, 200 people to turn out in uh, Lee County in, in 2018. That just wasn't happening. But I think people have an over, overwhelming sense of we can do something about this, that we are not that far gone. The enthusiasm comes for, like from reminding people of what they're capable of. Bakari, you know, in this state, you know, we're overachievers in Iowa. I'm just going to say that. And when we <laughs> don't get all the wins that we want as Democrats, sometimes, you know, we walk around with our, tech between, our, our, our tail between our legs because we believe that we can do better. And so I'm of the mindset right now and what my campaign is doing is reminding Iowans of what they're capable of historically and in the present day. And that gets people riled up because if you look at the national media, sometimes it looks like they're counting Iowa out, that we're we're not of value. Right. And, and we know we have that value. We know we can contribute to this uh, worldwide economy, this this economy that exists in this country. And we can do better for our economy in the state of Iowa. You know, like in my county, Bakari, Blacks make $30,000 less as a household than the entire county. You know, Blacks, Blacks own their homes, 30% of Blacks own their, own their homes, compared to 70% of yep. all of our counties. That's not like, an Iowa problem, but I do feel you. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. We're seeing that across the entire country, but I want to do something about it here. I want to do something about it here is we're getting these federal resources in. talk about build back better when we're getting these federal resources in. We need somebody in this state that knows what to do with those resources. We got a governor that sends money back. Let me ask you this million dollars. You, you mentioned you mentioned build back better and transportation. And while that's the conversation in D.C. and rightfully so in many of your Sunday news shows, I get a feeling that this election cycle in 2022 will be about gas prices and groceries. How can a governor speak to these specific concerns around inflation that we know that we see every single day? So it's going to be about gas prices. It's going to be about groceries. It's also going to be about child care. In this state, it's also going to be about education. You know, in Iowa, we care a a great deal uh, about educating our students. And right now we see our students leaving, vowing never to come back. And so I'm going to give them that vision of what this state can look like. You know, this state will be a state that's truly funding education and preparing our students for either college or job after they graduate from high school. We can do better there. You know, what's what's going to connect with voters is what's coming in in their pockets. I mean, you know, this was the scene of the UAW strike with John Deere. And there were a number of different types of people who were on the picket line. And I walked with them in, in, in three different parts of our state. And you saw, I, I saw a grandfather walking with his granddaughter. He worked for John Deere. She worked for John Deere. He said, I'm on this line right now because I want to make sure she has a better future. I met a guy who, who said he works for John Deere. He's 22 years old. This is the second job that he works because his dad was able to make a good living for him and his family. And he wants to be able to do that 
for his family. Folks just want to be able to work, provide for their families, and 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 be able to do what they want to do in their communities. That life, that liberty, and that pursuit of happiness. That's what Iowans want right now. And my message to them is that we can have this. We can have this if we reprioritize how we spend our money in this state and we spend the, the federal resources that we're getting in, in a very smart way with very few intended con- uh, uh, consequences to the regular everyday individual. So, look, uh, I got just a couple more questions. First, I mean, probably most important, how can people support your campaign? What are some of the things you need? What can they do? Uh, so the, the biggest thing right now, we know that campaigns take resources. They can go to DeGereForIowa.com. It's D-E-J-E-A-R. Um, they can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, on um, Instagram, share our things. I mean, social media advocacy is incredibly valuable. And the more that people can talk about what's happening in this state, the better. Um, and then again, give money, give money, because these campaigns take resources. I'm running statewide. And I know there's a lot of attention, like I said earlier, on what's happening with the federal government. But we've got to make sure that we're doing our due diligence. We can walk parallel paths, right? We can focus on the federal government and we can also focus on what's happening stateside. And we've got to secure these offices on the state side um, so that we can do better for everybody federally. Uh, but those are those are the two ways. Tell me this. I mean, it's you, Tish James, Sherry Beasley running for United States Senate, uh, Val Demings running for United States Senate, Stacey Abrams, governor, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you have all of these black women running. What does that feel like? I mean, is what you know, it, it's one thing to run, it's another thing to be successful and pull it off. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about the the challenges and, and what you look forward to as being part of this new wave of of black women who are running for office. You know, we've we've never had um, a black female governor in this country, and we've had very few uh, black female senators um, in this country. But what the landscape of women who are running for office, not only for these statewide and these federal offices, but city council and school board. I mean, we saw a tremendous number of, of people of color running for these roles. It is a testament to what this country is actually capable of. You know, running for elected office and being an elected official is a point of privilege because you get an opportunity to serve people. And to see that people of color, Black women are signing up to serve people in this way is endearing, but it, it is also motivating to know that you're not alone, that you're, I, I'm not alone in, in believing that my state can be a better place for everybody. I'm not alone in that. And and that feels good. Well, you know, look, I, I love Iowa. But my last question for y'all is, did y'all ever fix the caucus from 2020? And help me no. understand why you all should be first. Because in mm-hmm. South Carolina, I, I need to know the answer to this. Why should y'all be first when y'all are still <laughs> counting votes for 2020? Talk you know, <laughs> so I, I like just a little bit of grace in, in 2020. <laughs> and, and, and the reason why I say that is because we were, well, first of all, I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, I, I love what the caucuses does for politics. It is a community building activity that's essentially on steroids where people get to sit down, talk about policy, talk about issues in the most granular way. It is not to be compared to uh, a primary from my vantage point. But what we sought out to do in 2020 was expand our opportunity 
to connect with individuals. And so we offered a virtual and um, a phone in um, a course of action for people to actually participate in the caucuses that were in person. And we've never done that before. But the, the idea behind that was to do better, to expand our outreach and get more voices to the table in this community building So activity. how y'all going to count? But I, I, I hear about community building, but y'all sure didn't count the votes quick enough. You, you know, <laughs> I, I just think that this was a virtual environment where we were pioneers because this was a virtual uh, environment where everybody didn't know how to use Zoom. Some people didn't even know what Zoom was. Fair enough. Uh, WebEx and all those things. So what I say to everybody as we're trying, as we try to overcome a great deal of challenges in a state that is 45th in the nation in broadband speed, mind you, when we try to overcome those challenges, people learned from our lessons. And so I'm like, don't count Iowa out because, again, we've done a great deal to the fabric of this country by adding value as a state. And and I just want people to remember that Um, we I think that was a bold move for us to do a virtual caucus and to offer that option. But it was a very technical move. I, I guarantee you, we do that today. It doesn't look like it looked then because this this entire state has gotten hit to the fact of doing things virtually. And I think that's going to advance us in the future. Well, I'm with you. You know, I'm always rocking with you, Deidre Jajir. Thank you for <laughs> joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Shout out to your entire team. I hope people go Learn your story. Donate a few dollars. You are one of the baddest people, not just women, but people running for office. And I appreciate you so much. So thank you for joining the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want everybody to remember we can do this because we can do our things. All right. I I love you. Be easy.